Hey, powerful professionals. Welcome to a new episode of Issues in Black and White, where we discuss key values and social issues. We've got a really exciting episode today, all about well-being, and our special guest is Chris. Chris, can you start off by telling us what it is that you do? Yeah, so thanks so much for having me. Welcome. Uh, I am a HR manager at a retailer in the UK, um, and I also work with our diversity networks inside the organisation. And for the last six to seven months, I've had a formal assignment on diversity and inclusion strategy for the organisation. And as part of that, you talk about how you make people of difference feel included, uh, so that inherently their well-being becomes uh, better. Mm. Brilliant. Great. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, I hear that you're chartered, Chris. Congratulations. So, uh, Thank you. Yeah, that was a, quite a recent addition. Yeah. Um, what does that mean? That is after my name, which is nice. Mm. Uh, it means that as part of the work that I've done over the last seven or eight years of being in work, I've amassed enough experience to be part of a professional body called the CIPD, which is the Chartered Institute of Personnel Development. And it's a community of HR professionals that kind of peer review mm. your work. And so I submitted some examples of work that I've done in the past. And thankfully, my peers deemed it appropriate to give me chartered status. So, yes, um, it's st- I've been chartered for about two or three months now. Oh, wow. That's Fantastic. amazing. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Thank you. Does that mean that you've got to do something moving forward or is that just based on what you've already done? So there's now nothing more to do? Oh, there's always more to do. Okay. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> You have to prove through mm. the work that you continue to do that you're continuing to learn yes. and develop yourself as a professional, yeah. but also that the work that you do is having an impact on people. Yeah. Um, so that's it's really important that I'm constantly learning about what I can do better mm. to help the people within the organisation that I work in, and also more broadly how that organisation then helps communities within which it operates. Yeah. So really, well-being goes directly to the heart of what you do as a HR manager, right? I think it's part of it, yeah, definitely. Um, It depends structurally in organisations how you want to tackle and address those kind of subjects. Diversity, inclusion, well-being, you can put them under an umbrella of kind of employee experience, Mm -hmm. but they are very different and the drivers and levers that you would maybe want to pull in the organisation are very different. Mm but a lot of them overlap. So when you talk about well-being, Mm. my mind immediately goes to kind of physical and mental Mm. well-being. So do you exercise? Do you do yoga? Do you meditate? Do you get counselling? Do you talk to friends about issues? Those kinds of things. But broadening that out in an organisational context, you also need to think about how your, your members of staff are financially well and mm. psychologically well in an organisation? Do they feel that the organisation they work for has their back? Mm. Um, are they paid enough to be able to feel comfortable and that anxiety doesn't creep in when they get their bills? So well-being, whilst you might initially think of it as stuff that you could maybe see, so physical, um, it's actually a lot more than yeah. that. And as individuals, we have responsibility for our own. Uh, but organisations and institutions like schools have a responsibility for the well-being of the people that go to them. Um, 
So a big part of what I do is understanding if we wanted to launch something new for people, what's the impact yeah. that it's going to have on people, both positive and what maybe are the unintended consequences of what we want to do so that we know about them and can either mitigate them or walk into launching it knowing that that might be a, a problem and supporting people through it. Mm. How would you say you support people or what kind of tips do you give um, people who feel like an aspect of their well-being is um, not flourishing in the way that they'd like it to, um, be it for a personal or organisational reason? Like what kind of tips would you give a professional in that situation? Oh, well, that's a big question. It is, isn't it? Sorry. <laughs> it is. No, it's fine. Yeah. Um, so I also do coaching mm-hmm. as part of my job. So um, about two or three years ago, I trained to be a professional coach. And again, similar to your question around, is that, you know, once you get your qualification, is that it? Mm. Uh, no, it's not. You have to prove that you work with particular clients. Um, you have to do CPD, mm-hmm. so continuous professional development. And I recently did, I did one last week actually about virtual coaching and how you help the people that you partner with Mm -hmm. in a different way. And coaching traditionally, we might meet face-to-face with the client, but because of the pandemic this year, that's not been possible. So a lot of my coaching has moved online, which can feel quite strange for some people, but you have to work with the technology you're given. I think tips, I mean, hints and tips, it's very, well-being is very personal. So, so what works for me, mm. which 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 I thought was going to the gym every day um, and exercising in a room where I pick up pieces of metal, actually <laughs> had an unintended consequence for my self-esteem and my body image. And I didn't realise that until the pandemic closed all of the gyms and I couldn't go anymore. That's so interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And so <laughs> I, the gyms have started to open again now, but I haven't gone back because I've actually really enjoyed exercising at home. Music to Lara's ears will be that I've started to enjoy running. Never yeah. thought I'd say that. <laughs> um, and I feel no need to go back constantly to a gym environment because it also puts pressure on myself to yeah. look a certain way mm. phys- physically. And because I may never attain what in my head I see as the body beautiful or body perfect that has a negative impact on my mental well-being so cutting ties from that actually has been really healthy for me overall so i there are general hints and tips around maybe try some things Mm. but i would never i would never say this is the answer for you and you need to do it and if you don't like it then there's something wrong with you yeah it's this works for me perhaps you could try that for you and then maybe we could talk about that and see if it works um organizationally it's a lot harder because in my my organization as a retailer is quite large there's loads of people and each individual is going to have their own things that they're carrying they're dealing with they might need support with so as an organization we try and support them in the best way that we can by providing kind of confidential helplines that Mm. you can ring um, to talk through issues we can provide counseling if needed we have an app that you can download to your phone, which helps you do kind of guided meditations and mm. just talks about the different aspects of well-being that I mentioned earlier. So it, it is hard to reach everybody and it's hard to help everybody. But the provision is there, I think, 
in my organisation to do that. Yeah. Uh, you can always be better. I think there is a there's a tendency to maybe become complacent in the corporate world of mm. well we've got these things and people can access them so everyone must be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but it isn't as simple as that because part of your well-being could be your anxiety or your inability to make connection yeah. so therefore you're maybe unlikely to ring a phone line to talk about that because that involves making making connections, connections exactly so so, the, so organizations and individuals need to think about the different ways mm-hmm. that their staff and the people that inhabit their institutions access well-being support um because you want your well-being support to be as inclusive as you can yeah mm-hmm. absolutely it's interesting because i know it's I know it's like a trend at the moment, but coaching, I, I really value it. And I suppose that's where coaching is so important, is the fact that you can kind of get to the, it's much easier to get to the root of an individual's well-being and needs when you're having a coaching conversation than it is when you're, you know, making broad brushstrokes. Yeah, mm. and you don't do it yourself. As a coach. Um, the, the client gets exactly. themselves, yeah, which yeah. is so much more powerful. Yeah. And I, I remember starting work on a graduate scheme when I was 24 and feeling so out of my depth in my job I was dropped into a shop no kind of management experience in that shop and my well-being kind of took a hit and I had a cohort manager who was just phenomenal in the fact that she'd give me the answers to anything she just talked to me and asked questions so I could find the answers myself Mm. And I realised that that was coaching. She had coached me for about a year mm. and I hadn't really realised. So mm. I then thought, well, I would love to do that for other people. So I went to go and do a coaching course in work. Um, what I didn't realise is that you spend half your time training by coaching people and then you spend the other half of your time being coached, coached. by the training coaches. Yeah. And you have to bring real stuff to those sessions otherwise the person that's training to be a coach that is coaching you yeah won't really be getting the experience yes so through the program i got coached again yeah. and some of it was very emotional to the point where i had to leave rooms and go cry outside for a bit and i remember one of the things we had to do was write down on a piece of paper what was the most important thing to me and give it to somebody. Mm. And then I had to influence that person to give it back. And I gave my voice, which is kind of the depth of my voice, my accent, the tone of it, and also the fact that I sing mm. as a an outside hustle. And as soon as I gave it away on that piece of paper, I immediately felt I'd lost a massive part wow. of myself. And didn't feel like I had it back until I, had, I went outside next to the Thames in London, I had to sing. Yeah to know I had my voice back. So to experience that as a client means that I'm a better coach because I know yeah. that if something is so important to you, to you, it can it can rock a client completely. So you have to you have to figure out how to be a better coach by experiencing coaching. Yeah. yeah. And that that's true I think for all professions and all all walks of life, right? You get better at you know, we can think about leadership, you get better at leading by being led by good leaders and, mm-hmm. and bad leaders, actually. And you get better at, at teaching, from my experience, by watching good and bad teachers and experiencing mm-hmm. teaching, you know, so on and so forth. It's the same, isn't it? 
that's great I think it's so great as well what you were talking about so many things you've mentioned like in terms of um, being sensitive to where you're at and what you're taking on from the person that you're coaching as well as um, being sensitive to what the person you're coaching needs as well and I think you raised such a good point about what are the intended or unintended outcomes of a particular well-being um, method you want to use to try and help yourself like that point you made about the gym is so so interesting and having the time to reflect on how well is this method working for me um seems to be a really good way to keep kind of in check with what you need and don't need as you kind of go through your professional journey or professional life it's really really interesting can we can can we touch on the stuff you've been doing for diversity and inclusion and and how that kind of dovetails with the well-being stuff and can you tell us a bit more about that yeah of course so since the death of george floyd i think most of the world has woken up to the to the fact that there is a insipid structural issue in most societies when it comes to the treatment of people of ethnic minorities mm-hmm. but in particular the black community mm-hmm. and organizations have heard that loud and clear and some organizations will be paying lip service to that subject to kind of ride the wave until the next subject comes along quote unquote but other organizations like mine are using it as an opportunity to double down on the subject of diversity and inclusion and understand actually what we do well and what we could do a hell of a lot better at. Uh, So the work that I've been doing maybe over the last two or three years on diversity is supporting the networks in my organisation. We have seven or eight of them and they are set up by members of staff to provide a community for people that share a uh, characteristic and they're there to talk about issues to raise concerns to go there for support and to build a community and they're wonderful and over the last six months or so I've been leading and helping to lead pieces of work in my organization mm-hmm. to understand the black experience in work mm-hmm. and just the just the focus on listening to people mm-hmm. has anecdotally brought benefit to individuals so my colleagues in our communications team have launched listening sessions run by black partners we we call our staff members partners because we're employee owned uh, and uh, for black partners so it's a safe space for people um, who identify as black to come and just share their experiences both personal and work related experiences of how they felt how they feel their blackness uh, influences their life in positive ways and how other people view it negatively and what the barriers seem to be Mm. in both society and business so giving that space for people has uh, an indicative positive benefit on well-being but it's in the moment because those stories are not unique Mm. and they pervade every part of our society so the question is what next yeah. after that so the the hearing of voices is so important to candidly wake some people up myself included and smell the coffee so to speak <laughs> of 
you know, um, racism didn't disappear mm. when the law changed however many years ago. Um, there's a lot more to do because systemic issues leak into all aspects of how a society runs and how an organisation runs. So my, one of my, I hesitate to say specialism, but I'll say it anyway, is organisational design mm. and how how businesses are set up. So not just what jobs there are and what team teams there are and what management layers there are, but what's your culture like in your organisation? Mm. What governance structures do you put in place to get approval and authority for things? Um, as you said earlier, Lara, what do what do you expect of your leadership and do they role model that and do you hold them to account for that and how do you measure all of that stuff so if people are doing well they're rewarded for it and if they're not doing well they're reprimanded for mm. it that organizational system can be applied to a school to a business to a charity to a family to a society mm. and my part of my job is taking kind of the tactical things that you would do in the moment in response to something like listening sessions and I've been running and setting up a reverse mentoring scheme in the business for our leadership, where we are bringing black people who are comfortable to share their experiences directly one-on-one -on -one with a member of leadership together so they can start building relationships. But again, that is, that is wonderful, but it's also tactical. So then how do you make that sustainable in an organisation is where my work goes next, mm. really. I think that's really interesting. I was, I was also going to say, like, just thinking about this idea of well-being and like sharing stories, personal stories and thinking about that moment that you had as well, like when you were talking about what was important to you and how giving that away felt. I think as well, like um, this kind of and this isn't just to say for your organisation, but just in general, like the focus as well on the well-being of the people that are sharing their stories as well. And that point that you made is so important. It's about finding out whether they feel comfortable to share their story at any point. So that might be a black person or any other kind of difference, someone that has a disability or whatever, any other difference, just being able to um acknowledge that they feel comfortable to share before they share because I think there are some organizations at the moment that there's like an expectation that because you are of that specific group it is your duty to contribute to how we as an organization move forward on this particular topic but I think you make such a good point about it being um, a sense of agency for the individual um, on on sharing their experience with others in order to help make um, those changes. You talked about schools. What what have you been doing in schools specifically as well? Yeah, so as as kind of a uh, outside of my kind of day day job, mm. and it's only been a couple of times. But um, as a, I'm a gay man, mm. and so I, I grew up in the UK. Uh, in the 90s, where uh, a, a piece of legislation called um, Section 28 uh, had been passed by the Thatcher government in the late 80s, and that prohibited institutions like schools from talking about alternative love and alternative relationships. So when I grew up and started to feel the feelings that I had and wanted to maybe like kiss chase with the boys instead of the girls and hold hold a boy's hand instead of a girl's hand and what have you I didn't really get any kind of positive signals from my learning environment that those feelings were okay and it became difficult to reconcile well I'm having these feelings but the rest of the world 
has these feelings. Am I alone in this? And it does take a, a toll on your well-being as a young person, especially when your mind is developing. Thankfully, that law is, is gone um, and teachers can teach about LGBTQ plus inclusive stuff. And I think it was it's been made as part of the curriculum this year as well, which is wonderful. But I didn't have, going back to what I said earlier around role, I think I mentioned role models in leadership. I didn't have any role models when I was a kid. So I didn't have people coming into schools and talking about, oh, your feelings are okay. Lots of people have them and we exist and we still have great lives, fulfilling lives and all of that. So the work that I do with schools is kind of twofold. I go into schools and talk to kids, be it um, in classes or in kind of the societies that the kids themselves set up. When I found out that I was going to go speak at a pride group in a school, my mind was blown because I thought there's pride groups in schools now. That's wicked. And just to go and share the experiences that I've had and what it feels like growing up um, as an LGBTQ person, uh, the prejudices that you will face, but it's okay because you have a community that will support you and you build your own kind of family and your support network. And second, secondary to that is working with teachers and the governors. Um, and it, I mean, that sounds quite fancy, but it's just having conversations with the teachers and governors around the subject of diversity and inclusion and, as, and by extension, well-being of when you say as an institution, you want to take DNI more seriously, what do you mean by that? And getting into the, getting to the nuts and bolts of it, because when you say you want to be better at DNI and therefore support people's inclusivity and their well-being, is that that you want to review your curriculum and make your curriculum more diverse and inclusive? So, so kids of all differences learn about the role models of his in history that aren't just the white men that maybe invented something but probably stole it from someone else. Um, is it that you want to look at the role models within your institution itself? So your teaching staff and your heads of staff and whether or not they are providing that psychological safety that the kids will require when they grow up, even if they know they don't need it. And, and then thirdly, do what do you say as an institution to people maybe coming to your school? And how do you make prospective parents of students feel confident that your school is welcoming and open and, and will, have, will have the well-being of your child in all aspects of well-being at its core? Once you know the answers to those questions, you can then kind of do a an analysis of your current state of like, well, how do we teach right now? Who are our staff? What are their opinions? Do they support the kids? Um, what do we do in the community, if anything? What does our website say about our organisation and the value that we put on that subject? And then you can then think about what's the aspiration in all of those areas and then start making moves towards them. Um, so that's kind of the work that I've done in schools and for, for schools over the last, let's say about a year or so. And it is really emotional for me <laughs> to do it, particularly going into schools and talking about my lived experience and, and seeing the kids say, oh my God, I relate to that. That's how I feel right now. And hearing that it's going to be all right and that all of the, all of the things that they go through as, a, as a growing up as a kid, um, other people have experienced and they can lean on people. It is, it is very, uh, a kind of a satisfying thing to do because I know that I'm 
making a difference in one, in a very small way to that person's well-being. Yeah. Really interesting, and I think so important, so hugely important in in all sorts of institutions, but in schools especially because of what you say about you know these are young people they are, but they're vulnerable. Um, all young people are vulnerable to an extent and need our support and protection and this is one of the really key core ways that we can help protect and nurture some of the most vulnerable um it's hugely important yeah i think it's also good that um with your hr experience you're able to speak quite candidly about ways to um support with recruitment and then go on to support those members of staff when they um, come into the schools as well. Um, I was going to ask you a question, which is what we want to ask all of our guests kind of moving forward. Um, it does put you on the spot a bit, so we will give you a chance to think. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, but we wanted to ask if you have a, a nugget of, if you were to share one nugget of wisdom with um, professionals, early careers professionals, um, today what would it be about well-being or just in general it can be in general or it could be about well-being that's completely up to you uh, yeah okay it would be and this is i'm making that slight assumption here that other people experience this um but this is based on it's based on the fact that i know that a lot of other people experience this so it might not be for everybody but um it's to not my piece of advice would be to not let your little voice control you. Um, and by little voice, I mean kind of the, the the version of yourself in your head mm -hmm. that holds you back from stuff. Um, and it's a, it's really interesting. But when I when I went through the coaching process and learned to be a coach, a big part of that training was to understand your voice inside your head, your little voice, and the opinions that you hold about yourself and your self perception and why they all exist. And the reason that self-perception exists is to protect you. It's to stop you from going over there and doing that because that might be dangerous or to not stick your neck out because you might get something wrong because that little voice is trying to protect you from the assumed eventuality that you will fail. Yeah, or shame or... Or shame yeah. or embarrassment, embarrassment. Or all of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And getting hold of that little voice and using it to your advantage instead what was the best thing that i've learned over the last like four or five years really so my advice would be to notice your little voice talk to it interact with it understand it and know what it's trying to do instead of just letting it do what it's mm. doing i think that would be my advice yeah that's interesting great. that's a really great tip thank you so much chris um we hope that you enjoyed this episode, Powerful Professionals. Thank you so much, Chris, for joining us today. Um, send us your thoughts on Twitter or Instagram. That's at Issues in BMW. We look forward to continuing this discussion about well-being. See you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.